I'd like you to open your Bibles once again this morning to Isaiah chapter 61 and Colossians chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. This was a text that Jesus used in Matthew 4 for his first sermon. After his temptation, he came back to the temple. They gave him the, the scroll, and he turned to this place, and he read this. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Now you notice the last three things that Jesus said God anointed him and sent him to do was to release people from bondage. That obviously he came to a bound creation. That he said he came to set the captives free, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, and to bind up the brokenhearted. I am glad that he came because when he did that, he did that for me. And the benefits will follow you like goodness and mercy for the rest of your life if you believe that. But he came to do that. Now, in Colossians chapter 1, having done it, it says, Who hath delivered us in whom we have? You see those two things? In whom we have redemption, I think that's verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have been redeemed. We do not need to be redeemed. He is not going to redeem us. He has already done it. Amen. That something has already happened. It will not happen again. It has forever been settled in heaven. It is done. Jesus Christ came. He spoiled principalities and powers who had bound us. He bound the strong man. He made it possible for all of us who had been under the weight of sin and the penalty and the sentence of sin our whole lives. He made it possible for us to be loose from that. He made it possible for us to live a life of freedom, and he made it possible for us to have a relationship with God. Sin no longer stands between us. Jesus bore it away. Now, having said that, it is obvious and evident that as we read the New Testament, that even though the Bible speaks in past tense, we are free. We have been set free in Ephesians 1 and so forth. While that's true, we're also warned about the enemy goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Now, if the redeemed could not be then devoured or swallowed down, there would be no reason to write that. We're told that the devil is subtle and clever, that in the last days many shall depart from the faith. Well, if they couldn't depart from the faith, there would be no reason for it to say that. But the fact is, they will. Even though legally, as Christians, we are free. If you don't know that you're free, and you don't make application of the principles of freedom, you'll never live free. It's like that story we've told before. That man rode the boat from Europe to America to start this new life. Made him a little lunch of cheese and bread, enough that he thought maybe get him across the ocean, hope so. And found out when he was almost to America that the meals on the ship go with the ticket on the ship. You don't have to bring your own lunch. The food is prepared for you. He could have had that all along. He could have sat in the cafeteria and ate fresh fruit every day. But he didn't know it. He didn't realize. He didn't. Nobody had told him or explained to him that the ticket on the ship or the work of Jesus for you has liberated you from all bondage. But if you don't know that, well, the Bible says, don't give place to the devil. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If somebody doesn't teach us, inform us, give us information on how to live and why we can live this way, what belongs to us, what we can do in Christ, if nobody ever tells us that, then we will live bound. My whole family tree was bound. They were all religious. They all went to church. 
They were bound with fears and doubts and unbeliefs and uncertainties, and nobody was sure that God would do anything that he promised because they didn't know if they could believe that. Their doubt and unbelief kept them bound, living their whole life bound. I remember years ago after I got saved that this new information came to a new heart. I had a new heart. And the information that came to me was the old and ancient word of God. But my eyes were now opened. I began to see things I had never seen before because somebody told me. I wasn't offended at it. I was glad about it, even though I couldn't fully grasp it and understand it. But as I did search the scriptures for myself and did share with like-minded brethren, people that were in the same boat I was in learning and striving to enter in and all of that, I began to realize that we've come upon something we didn't know we had. We've been set free. Devil has no place in me. Just like at the cross. What God laid on Jesus on my behalf, the devil has no right to lay on me. That if any two of us agree on this earth touching anything that we shall ask, God will honor that. And whatever we as Christians bind, or as one version says, whatever we declare illegal and unlawful on this earth, God will from heaven. He'll back his word from heaven. But if we're silent, we don't use his word or we don't believe his word, then whatever happens, God will let it happen. It's not his fault. But Jesus came to set the captives free. Now, the title of this little series is Living Liberated. It's one thing for Christians to say we've been set free and know the mechanics of that. But it's entirely something else for you to live like that's true, to have a testimony that needing people can see in you. Or you should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is within you. Where would you get that hope? Well, you got it from the Word. God shows you something that's exciting. It's changing your life. It's giving you a, a new way to live, an approach to life, and you're not afraid of your tomorrows and you're joyful. You don't find much of that anywhere in the world, but you got it. You don't have to be down in the dumps and sad. I don't have to be overwhelmed with grief and sorrow in this life. I've got a book with 8,000 promises sitting here before me this morning. These are promises that have been divinely given to me by the Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth, the Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and our Lord Jesus Christ, and has seen fit to send forth His Word from heaven to us. And in this heaven, there are several thousand promises, and he has promised to watch over this word to perform it. Now, that belongs to me. I have that. I may never have experienced that, but that doesn't make it not true. It's true whether I experience it or not. It's true whether I believe it or not. It's true because God said it. And the whole basis for me believing God is the fact that what he has said here, he will do. He said this word is forever settled in heaven. Forever. It'll never change. This word will be with you in eternity. All things come to pass according to this word. This is an eternal word. And therefore, we can embrace it. We can stand on it. Believe it. Live in the light of it. And live free. Live free. You can live without fear. You can live without debt. You can live without sickness and disease. They'll come your way to test you. You don't know what you believe until you're tested anyway. So you'll be tested, but you're free. It belongs to you. But if you don't stay free, then you'll find that this is just ink on paper. If it's not written on the fleshly tables of your heart, it's just ink on paper. It's just preaching stuff, but when it becomes real to you, life begins to take on an entirely new meaning. You see, we're not here just in church this morning. We're here in a meeting. We're meeting together as the redeemed of the Lord, and we're here to have declared unto us again, if necessary, again and again, what be the principles, the oracles of God. Sing them over again to me. Burdensome words of law, wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty, teach me faith and duty. Remember that in vacation Bible school a hundred years ago? But it's the truth. 
I would rather hear the Word of God taught than to hear some rap singer try to do whatever he's trying to do or those painful people screaming for pain when they're singing. This is a liberating message. It's the Word of God. It's the only thing in life, the only book given to man that God said he will watch over this Word to perform, that he honors this Word even above his name. Psalm 138, 2. He has put a value on this word, which is eternal. And he wants us to see that. And he wants us to come to him and take him at his word just like that, that if God said it, he'll do it. Or like Paul said one time, sirs, be of good cheer. I believe God that it will be even as it was told me. If he said I'm well, I am. If he said I can, I can. If he said I should, then I should. If he said it's possible, then it's possible. I don't care what the odds are in this world, what a natural mind says about it. If God said it, it's so. We have to stay free. We have to hide this word in our heart, refresh our mind, renew our mind so that our mind is word of God inside-minded. We think the word. The solutions to the little things that come up is the word. The car starts spinning and you holler the blood of Jesus. It spares you. The power of this word. The first thing you got to do, though, to stay free as the redeemed is you got to guard your mind. Remember we said that? You got to guard your mind. We read in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, but I fear, the Bible says, but I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, through his craft, his mental maneuverings. Hey, what do you think about this? As he beguiled Eve through his subtlety, Paul said, I am concerned that your minds would be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. This is not a complicated message. Let me get off the subject again for a moment, can I? While so many people in what is called Christianity today are trying to come up with a new angle, a new something, a new fad, a new idea, and so that everybody wants to rush to that or buy the book. The one thing that God says is eternal, and you don't need any more than this, is the Word of God. Preach the Word. You don't need to desire any flash and flamboyance. You just preach the Word. Jesus said his people will want to hear his word. That's what he said. So preach the word. And remember we said this Wednesday night, Paul, in writing to Timothy, he said, if you will give yourself to this, you as a preacher, if you will give yourself to the teaching of the word doctrine, if you'll study and you'll pray and you'll read, and just keep your information centered around this book, he said, you'll not only save yourself, but you'll save all those that hear you. So there is a freedom that we can have, and the good eternal consequences that come from it, we get to go to heaven whenever it's over. So you've got to guard your mind. Your mind's a battlefield. That's where the devil comes at you, in your mind. He tempts you there. Thoughts in your mind. Just like the devil now having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. The devil couldn't make Judas betray Jesus. He simply put a thought in his mind. Let's go out and hang out tonight. Let's go. Let's, let's go do just a thought, something that emits pleasure to your mind. Sometimes you read them little old stupid romance books, and you try to imagine, I would think, young ladies only, surely. <laughs> and they try to project themselves into the scenario they're reading as they see it, and there's a certain kind of pleasure there, even though there's a certain kind of a sinfulness there, too. That's why they don't resist certain temptations, because that kind of temptation has an appeal to that particular heart. They want to run out and do things and hang out and hang around people who aren't Christian because they're cool and all that kind of stuff. Well, you've got to realize that the devil puts in your mind ideas to do. He can't make you do it. But if you're willing to give a lot of time to it, like in Judas Iscariot, the Bible said Satan in John 13, Satan entered into Judas. 
Is it possible that there's enough room in a human being for the devil to get in there? Is it? Is it possible for Christians to receive another spirit? 2 Corinthians 11. Then it's possible if that other spirit gets into a Christian's life, it may confuse things or confound things a little bit. And while you should be free, you're not able to connect the way you should. Devil puts in your mind. It's in your mind he begins to invade. You look at people, you think bad thoughts. It's where lust comes from. Lust is a mental thing. It tells the body what it wants it to do, but it begins in your mind. You got to guard your mind. Your mind is a battlefield. You got to guard your thinking. You think wrong, you'll do wrong. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And the second thing we started last week was you got to guard your mouth. Because what's in your mind, your mouth will expose. Well, they say is out of the heart will proceed words and so forth. A couple of things that we said last week. Psalm 141, you don't have to turn to this. Psalm 141 in verse 3, the psalmist says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth and guard the door of my lips. Why? If you're a person who likes to study, you ask that question all the time because that's your signal or key to investigate. Well, why does it say that? Find out for yourself. Why must there be a watch before my mouth, something that you want God to do, something that may be bigger than your ability to do it as you should? Why is it you want him involved to guard the door of your lips? Because with your lips, you open that door back up to sin. Y'all remember the story, I'm sure you do, and allow me. In Numbers 14, when the Israelites were brought out of Egypt, how they murmured, and they complained. They complained about everything. They had never had a ruler. They were slaves, 400 years. How many generations? I don't know, 10 generations of slaves, mentality. God picked them knowing they were like that. And he brought them out there, and they just whined and murmured and complained, wanted to go back to Egypt, and blah, blah, you brought us out here, we're going to die out here. And as judgment, God said to them, as you have spoken, so shall you receive. You said you're going to die out here, then you will die out here. That apparently is what you believe. And Jesus said, remember, Jesus taught us about words. He said, you can have what you say. Meaning, of course, faith, if you say to this tree, be thou taken up and cast into the sea, you got to talk to the tree's words. You don't doubt it in your heart. That's the core. That's the origin of where your words come from. You don't doubt it in your heart, but you believe the things you just said will come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. I believe a lot of Christians really believe they're going to get sick. They really believe that if the flu is going around, they will get it. They believe it. They are not trying not to. They just naturally believe for that, and they say that. Well, you know, every time that stuff comes around, I get it. Well, then how can you turn around and say, I'm going to be delivered from that when you just turn around and you say, well, I'm going to have it. Proverbs 62, you're snared by the words of your mouth. Christians don't pay attention to their words. They don't. We give ourselves liberty to say things that we shouldn't say. Even though we know better, and I'm preaching it myself. I, you know, you all think I'm sometimes preaching at you. Most of what I say is about to me. I'm the best example I got. I know, and looking back for 70 years, I know how easy it is to mess up. I know how easy it is. I don't care how much you know, how many years you've been in it, how much you've preached. I don't care how much experience you think you have. It is easy to mess up if you don't pay attention. You give yourself liberties. You shouldn't. But he said death and life are in the power of your tongue. Think of that. Death or life. If you want life, you better guard your mouth. A long life. Keep your tongue from evil, the psalmist said, Psalm 34. Keep your tongue from evil, you'll have a long life. Keep your tongue from evil. Evil thoughts come. We often say evil things. We gossip. Is gossip evil? Anything not inspired by the Lord, anything without his approval, 
is evil. I don't squirm yet. We're not done. Whatever God does not inspire, whatever doesn't find his approval, he would call evil. And if the words we use in describing people we don't like, even though we know we shouldn't talk like that, when we use those words anyway, they're evil words. That's called evil communications. It comes out of our mouth even though we know better. We've been taught better. We've heard it more than once. But it's so easy to give yourself liberties in doing things that you're prompted to do, even though your conscience says you shouldn't do that. You do it anyway. And consequently, you give place, in Ephesians 4.27, you give place to the devil with your mouth, the words you say, the way you talk. The attitude you have has been developed by the way you've been living and the choices you've been making your whole life. And your choices have developed in you an attitude. That's how we know you, by your attitude. We know if you're picky or if you're moody or if you're touchy or angry or we know if you're joyful or happy or long-suffering. But usually we know who you are and what you are by what comes out of your mouth, by the way you talk. And if you don't guard your mouth, you obviously can give place to the devil. See, words, language is a gift from God. Of all the created order, the only ones that have a language are those who were made in the image and likeness of God. He gave us words for various reasons. He gave us words so we can communicate with him. He gave us words so we can communicate with each other. He gave us words so we can direct affairs in this life. Words. He showed us what his word does. He created the world with words. He said, let there be, and there was. When Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus, remember what he did? He spoke to Lazarus. He called him by name. As somebody once said, if he hadn't called him by name, every dead person in the hillside would have come out of it because there's that much power in the word of God. Jesus spoke the word. He mentioned a centurion once as having faith beyond what he had seen in Israel when all the centurion wanted him to do in healing his servant was just speak the word only. Open your mouth, Jesus, and talk, because if you say he's healed, there's nothing that can keep him sick. That's the kind of power that is in the words that God gave us. But we have corrupted words. The words that we ought to use to glorify and magnify God and the words that we use to sing with and, and to talk, the good use of language that God intended for us to have, even though there's a lot of bad use out there, he intended for us to deny ourselves that and to just use good words, to speak what edifies, to praise God with our lips, the sacrifice of our lips, giving thanks to God. That's what he intended us to do with words, to help people who need help with words that are gracious and kind, loving words. But we have been so influenced and so corrupted by the use of words. Look at the media. Look at movies today, how words are used. How much of the language you hear today is evil? How much of it would God judge? You would never get by with anything if in church you said things like they say in the world today. And yet we're right there sitting on the front row with them because there's something that appeals to a man's flesh. But God gave us words because that's the way we function. How could we be saved without words? He said in Romans 10, For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Or he said in verse 17 of Romans, and he said, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the words of God. God had to say something in order for us to know what we can believe. We can't believe anything. We, we can only believe what he shows us here. We have battles and struggles. We're told we're going to fight the good fight of faith. We're told we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and on and on and on. Well, we fight with words. What is the sword of the Spirit called? It's called the Word of God. You don't just draw a sword and tape your mouth shut. You say what it says. You speak what God gave you to say. That's a sword. 
It's prompted by the Holy Spirit. It is the sword of the Spirit. And you speak those words, God watches over his word to perform it and to deliver you. It's all about words. Revelation 12, remember that? They overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, what they testified to. For your testimony to be pure, you can only testify to what you have seen or heard or what you're assured of. In a court of law, that's the only acceptable thing, what you've seen or heard. If you have no relationship with God, all you can testify to is what others have seen or what others have heard. But if you have your own relationship with God and your own experience, and that's what you share. But it's words. We have to do it that way. That's the way it's supposed to be. We're to live holy lives. You can't live a holy life without words. They shall take note of us that we have been with the Lord. They hear us sing. They hear our comments when we're out where people are ugly. They hear that you don't curse. You don't talk bad. You don't gossip. You don't make remarks about political whatevers. People know you're different. You know how they know you're different? Words. Anybody can act pious, but not everybody has with their piety words, good words, the words of God. Let me show you how Jesus spoke. I want you to go to the Gospel of John. I don't think Jesus ever spoke a word that he didn't need to speak. I do not believe that Jesus was a chatterbox. I do not believe that Jesus sat around and rapped with his disciples. Hey, what's happening? I bet he never said that. Hey, what's going on? It was happening. I bet he never did that. I bet he didn't go around looking for somebody to talk to. I bet he enjoyed his time alone and was prompted when he should speak. If he didn't have anything to say, I don't think he would say it. We might call somebody like that today a dull person. But if you're in the Gospel of John, look at chapter 8 and verse 28. This is his example. Now, this is what we read about Jesus and words. Jesus never gave place to the devil. The devil could not snare Jesus because of his words. Because, listen, verse 28, But as my Father hath taught me, what does he say? I speak these things. Well, what did Jesus say? What he had learned from his Father to say. When do you reckon he learned that? Those all-night prayer meetings out there in Galilean hills? I've been in those hills now. I know what that looks like now. I wouldn't want to be out there. But he spent a lot of time alone with his father. Look at verse 38. I speak those things which I have seen with my father. Well, did the Lord ever show Jesus things? Did he speak that? Apparently, that's all he would say. We'll go over to chapter 12 and verse 49. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. Verse 50, whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Now, is there anything there that we should make application of or take note of in our own lives? Is that possible with us? I'm asking you. Jesus said, I have not spoken of myself, but the Father was sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. Can we do that? Amen. Now, I know you're going to agree with me because it's Sunday morning. But I appeal to that part of you which is honest and open. Can you live like that? If you really wanted to. If you tried to. Could you have such a relationship with God that you always knew what he wanted you to say, and that's all you're willing to talk about. Because, you see, if we go beyond that, we get in trouble. Remember about taking the oath? Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Anything more than this will lead to sin. Boy, how big a cross we have to get on to subdue our chatterbox spirit. 
this babbling thing that we're so accustomed to. I, more than anybody I know in the world, I've spent my whole life talking. I've been asked millions of questions by thousands of people. So I talk all the time. I get phone calls, and when people call me, they want me to talk. And I can tell you this, 68.7% of the time, I don't want to talk. I really don't. I came home years ago from a trip. You know, whenever you're through preaching, people want to talk to you. That's okay. I'd been talking all week and talking and talking and talking. I came home back to my little sanctuary with my children, my wife. My wife wants to talk. How'd it go? Well, I believe in simplicity, so I said, fine. (laughs) Everything go okay? Yeah. That's pretty easy. Yeah means yes. Well, who all did you talk to? course in this unnecessary words start welling up i don't want to talk about all that stuff i've been talking to people all week long i really just don't want to talk in a better way than that i think (laughs) and my wife kind of you know that thing so that means i've upset her how did i upset her with words how do you upset anybody with words We say things we shouldn't say. We say things without thinking. The devil prompts us to say stuff, to get it off your chest and express yourself and be who you are and don't take. And so we talk like that. And we're not blessed because God does not bless that. So I finally had to understand that my life, while I'm purchased by the Lord and I belong to whatever he puts me to whoever, wherever I am, I'm not mine, I'm somebody else's, but I also belong to my wife, and she wanted to talk. And I finally had to get myself, now, boy, you look her right in the eye or close, and you talk to her. She'd been changing diapers and getting drinks and got to go potty all week long, and so she wants you to come home and talk to her with adult language. You know, kids don't talk adult language. But it's so easy for us to get with words. It's so easy for us to say things we're not supposed to say because we think that's just being honest. Well, you were, but that's not a kind of honesty that honors God. But I'm telling you, Jesus, he said he only spoke the words the Father gave him. Now, I would think if you're married and your wife asks you what you've been doing, I don't think it's wrong to say, well, you know, we had a good meeting and this person came and I saw that and I spoke about this and spoke about that, just went through all of that. Sometimes we're real selfish. We're real selfish, self-serving. My time is mine. I want my mind back this for a couple of days. I don't want you all in it. I want my mind all to myself sometimes. I get out and get alone. I don't want, I want everybody out. Then my phone will ring. I think, why am I carrying that thing around? I can't touch it all this morning. All the many, many things that God says in his word about our speech and how we, by words, open up the door to trouble in our life by what we said. You don't just die and get afflicted and fall dead because you said something wrong. But the devil can come into some area of your life, some part of your life. He can come in, he starts messing around and doing all that stuff and saying all of those things. Look at John 14 and verse 10. Hopefully we can come to the place in our mature, deeper life experience that we can say this. John 14, 10, the words that I speak to you, I speak not of myself, But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. The words produce the actions, and they're all because of God. Is this possible with us? Did Jesus say this, as the Father has sent me, so send I you? Does it also say, as he is, so are we in this world? Does the scripture also say that God is at work in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure? He does all things according to his word. Then why don't a lot of miracles and signs and wonders that we read about some, why don't they happen? Probably because we negate all of that with words. We're just chatty. Let me tell you what Jesus taught us about 
our words. I want you to listen carefully because we're going to probably spend the rest of the morning right here. Matthew 12. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 33. Either make the tree good and his, so his meaning a gender, it's, it is a person, the tree is a person. Either make the tree good and his fruit good or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt for the tree is known by his fruit. Now notice something here. Take heart with this. No matter what condition you are in, you can be made into something better. Oh, I've been like this my whole life. Well, I've got good news for you, soldier. You can be different. I've just got this weakness and I can't get over it. Got news for you. Make it better. If you couldn't make it better, he wouldn't have said either. Choice is us. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make it evil and the fruit evil. For every tree... Every person in this room that I'm talking to is known by your fruit, how you live, how you talk, how you deal with affairs in your life, how you handle pressure, what you do with things in your life. That's how you're known. Either the fruit that comes out, the reaction or the response to your problems in life either will corrupt you or shows corruption, yeah, 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 which is corrupt, or else... You have been trained and remade into a new creature in Christ. And what once was living and alive has been put to death on the cross. And now it's no longer you, but Christ who lives because what you speak now to the problems are the words that he gave you to speak. Have we not learned new words to speak here? Does he not tell us that if the devil comes around, there are certain things that we can say? Listen, I don't care how bad this morning, whoever you are out in the electronic world, Whoever you are, wherever you are, I don't care what your opinion of yourself is and your weakness is, and I just can't keep on it. You can be remade. You got a price to pay because somebody's had his grip on you for a long time. And you're going to have to fight the good fight. You're going to have to get your shoulder against the load, and that's your faith, and push on it. You can't back off anymore and admit you're just a weakling because you're getting what you say. I can't do that. You probably can't because that's what you believe. Well, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And you probably don't. You've been taught for 40 years and you still don't know what you ought to do. You probably don't. That's why you fall and fail. Words. Words. We just sling them out of our mouth like it's no big deal. And somebody is listening to every word that we say. Like in verse 34, he said, A man's heart is not known until he speaks. Listen to this. Oh, generation of vipers, that's not good. Oh, generation of vipers. Let me tell you why it's not good. Because a viper is a source of poison. It's a source of poison. Old generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, while we don't go by laws in the New Testament, this is a deeper life principle right here that everybody in this room is governed by. Everybody. There's no exceptions. Out of the abundance of your heart, you speak. If you're mouthy, critical, belligerent, sassy, that's the kind of heart you have. I don't care where you go to church and what you say you believe. You can say you believe anything. It's what you do with your words. They come out of your heart. That's what you really are. That's the kind of person you really, really, really are. You can say, oh, I'm a Christian, I love the Lord. But if what comes out of your mouth doesn't glorify the Lord and it's evil... Then you got another problem. Amen. Because you see, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, what if, as the psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart? I'm not talking about memorization. See how many verses I can quote or memorizing something. But thy word as a way of life. That I am bound to. 
I have hidden this in my heart. This is my decision to live according to this word. That's hiding the word in your heart. He said, thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against it because anything else is wrong. Maybe no, maybe good, but it's evil. Anything not inspired of God, anything that does not find God's approval is evil. I don't care how noble it is and how much everybody praises you for what you're doing. If it's not inspired of God, it's not right. Jesus told his disciples before that day that he breathed on them after his resurrection when he was glorified. Before that, in teaching them, he said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good gifts to those that love them? See, these people argued, fussed, and fought all the time, and they were in conflict with each other. He said, you know, your whole personality has an evil influence in it. It doesn't mean they're not accepted by the Lord. We were all like that. All of us were like that. God is changing us. I hope you believe that. Be not conformed to this world, but be What's the word? Transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is. And if the word you're about to speak, that you've always just blurted it out and expressed myself, now you start bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And he will tell you, I didn't give you that to say, so you don't say it. Folks say, you used to be fun to be around. Now you won't talk. You know what? I don't get condemned for silence. Nothing wrong with quietness either. In fact, at the very end of the message today was a note about quietness. Study to be quiet. The kind of woman that God says that is precious in his sight is said, as your husband begins to behold your modest behavior coupled with fear and so forth. And he talks about a meek and quiet spirit. You think God is offended by quietness? You think the secret place of the Most High has music playing all the time? It's quiet. It's so quiet that if God whispered, just whispered, you would hear it distinctly. It is so quiet that if you, in the agony of your soul and talking to him, you could barely whisper, he could hear you because it's quiet. He said, be still. Remember that? Be still. Let God do all the talking. Be still. Put a wash before your mouth. Guard the door of your lips. Quit just yakking all the time. I've been thinking about this all week, and this is a major difficulty. It doesn't mean we can't talk. Don't go out here and think, well, we're not allowed to talk unless i got a verse to quote. No, we raise children. We teach and train our children. We talk about a lot of things that we're required to talk about. He's just talking about... Words that are evil, that don't do any good. Words that are difficult and ugly and just words that are no good. Look at verse 36. Here's one. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account of in the day of judgment. I think by the reading of that text, not every word is an idle word, but there are words that are used by us that are worthless words. One of the definitions of idle is worthless. Words with nothing in them. They benefit nobody but the devil. They minister grace to nobody. They don't make anybody feel better. They don't inspire anybody. They're just worthless words. And this silly age, and I don't mean anything with this young group, this generation, but if there was ever a generation that my gray-haired generation would say is a goof-off generation, this is it. Everything has to be stupid. But I'm not talking about all of us. I'm just talking about what I see in the world out there. What appeals to kids is goofy. The stuff that is portrayed on TV and some of these sitcoms, I never watch them. Never, ever, never. The fact that you would even sit there and listen to any of it, watch your words, is not good. 
But the stuff that people talk about, listen to the music people sing. Listen to the lyrics of the music. Do you think there are any idle or evil words in lyrics of music today? About an adulterous affair? I went to a bar and she was lonely and the next thing. Do you think that's evil? What's the number one hit by the cutest girl in the county? You think it's still evil? She's a party to evil. Then what's her picture doing on your bedroom wall? Think of it. Think of all of these people that are just given to self-glorification. The way I dress is so you'll look at me and talk about me. Bonnie and I saw one the other day. His pants, they were that low. You could almost see the bottom of his nasty underwear. Why do people do that? It's self. It's inspired by something here making you think if you do this and you're this. You know what? God will judge all of that stuff because it's evil. Whether you want to hear that or not, he will. And this rap music with so many four-letter, ugly, nasty, they call it evil communication, curse words. I told you one time I found a, a music desk here in the seat, and we got turned out of the driveway heading towards the water tower there and got about that far until Bonnie was yelling. Turn that thing off. Get that thing out of here. And it was ornery before you could get there. I'm talking about the wild strings. And here it came, just vulgar, nasty stuff. Do you think, whoever that belonged to in here, do you think that God will approve of that? You listen to it, learning those words, moving your mouth to the words when they sing them. Parents, let me tell you all something. Your kids learn all these songs you're not supposed to listen to. Except mine. <laughs> I remember years ago driving on a trip and there was this demonstrator tape. for We had a new Ford van. It had a demonstration tape, various music. You know, there was one here and one a classic and then a goofy one and then another goofy one. And uh, I remember the goofy one was on and we were checking this and I look up in the rearview mirror and they were going, I thought, where'd you learn that? Huh? Huh? They're around it all the time. What I'm telling you is they haven't seen the sinister aspect of it yet. Words snare souls. The devil is given place by words. And when he's given place by words and he comes in and takes over a person's life or your children's life and unclean spirits come into their life, uncleanness, whether it's homosexuality or porno, it came in through the music. It came in through that romantic novel you read. It came in through that R-rated movie you had to watch. A spirit came with it. And you listened to those words, and those words were not captured and brought to the obedience of Christ and got up and turned the thing off. No, there was this pleasure you were getting from it. And it's a shame that that happens, but it happens. It happens all the time. Look in verse 37. This is the way it will be with you, me, and all of us. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Is that fair? So if I say words that are against God, not in favor of God or finding the approval of God, and my conversation is that way, does my conversation condemn me? You better say yes. Folks, while we're free, we're not free to sin. There's a lot of things I can do that I'm free to do. But I'm not free to do it because of what the effect it might have on somebody else or what it may lead me to beyond that. It's best just to shut the door to all that trash and walk away from it. Just walk away from it. Give it all up. Because a wise man, the Bible teaches, a wise man can see what's coming. He's been taught. His eyes have been opened. He sees the danger of what's in front of him. Ecclesiastes, can you find that? Back towards the end of the book, right after Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Look at verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, 
Now, would God approve of gracious words, kind words? It's nice to see you. Is that okay? You look nice today. I'm glad to see you here today. God is good, isn't he? Praise the Lord. Instead of saying, you know, hey, it's nice to see you. Where'd you buy that thing at? Your colors don't match. That's terrible looking. Have you know that's not gracious? Yeah, but I'm honest. It's not the time to be honest. You just leave that alone. It says in verse 12 again, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of the fool will swallow him up. Now, the word means devour. Now, what is a fool? A fool, in this sense, is a thoughtless person who doesn't pay attention to what he's doing. The fool in Matthew 7 only wants to build his house. He doesn't care if it's built on a good foundation or not. He just wants to get his house built. So he doesn't take time to dig on the rock. Why? I don't need all that. So he does it his way. And the rains knock his house down and he loses his investment. He's thoughtless. He's not a thoughtful person. He's a fool. He would say about God, well, I know God can do all that, but I don't know if he'll do all these things that, you know, you all say he'll do. I mean, I know he could heal. I know he could deliver us and, and fix teeth and eyes and feet and all, but I never seen him doing it. How do I know? That's foolish talk. That's speaking as a fool. Because those are words that don't glorify God. They are thoughtless words. They benefit nobody and they bring judgment. Your words snare you. Verse 13, the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. And the end of his talk is mischievous madness. Probably another way of saying he corrupts himself with his words. Verse 14, a fool also, he's full of words. And a man cannot tell what shall be. And what shall be after him, or who can tell him? I mean, this guy is a chatterbox. He talks all the time. He doesn't take thought of what he says. He probably wants to be a comedian or a clown and make people laugh. They call it jesting and just wants to entertain. And so he just yaps and runs his mouth. Or he's in a class at school, and he wants everybody to know he's tough, so he tries to use smart aleck words to the teacher. Dare him or dare her or anything about it. And his words, you know, everybody let him in. He's tough. No, he's not. He's a fool. He's described in the Bible as a foolish man. And the end of his life is mischievous madness. Talk about no direction at all. He has no direction whatsoever. What about this thing about your tongue? How many people can bridle that tongue? How many people in Shelbyville Christian Assembly or out in the other parts of the world, can bridle their tongue. How many people have the courage to make sure that they measure carefully the words they're about to speak? To make sure that I don't put a noose around my neck with words that I'm about to say. If I can't tell the truth, I I just won't speak at all. I would rather be quiet and say nothing and be non-condemned than to think of something to say, say it wrong or say it with wrong intentions and then be judged for it. Would you put your finger here in Ecclesiastes? I'm going to come back in a minute. Would you go to James chapter 3? James chapter 3 and verse 2. James chapter 3 and verse 2. For in many things, we offend all, or we all offend people in so many ways. If any man offend not in word, he's perfect man. He has come to a place of perfection unlike anybody else. He's able to bridle the whole body. He's on a road to holiness. Piety marks his trail. You know why? Because he can bridle that tongue. But a fool back in Ecclesiastes, he can't. He likes to hear himself talk. He thinks everybody else wants to hear him talk. Have any of you ever been outside anywhere where there were the windows rolled down on a car with a loud radio playing trash music? 
And then somebody who couldn't sing, if his life depended on he could not sing. All he can do is talk nasty and talk dirty. You ever heard that? Why do you suppose people want you to hear those words? Isn't it the devil? I told you one time I turned my radio with that Christian tape I had on. I got one car I got's got a pretty good system, and you can crank it up, and it'll walk a woman back to him. <laughs> when peace like a river, you know, and everybody looks over, turn that off, turn that off. But see, that's not good either because I'm in competition with somebody who I shouldn't be in competition with. So I finally rolled the windows up and turned it down so I could bear it. But go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes 10 again in verse 13. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. And the end of his talk is madness. How much do you suppose the Bible bears this out? How much would you imagine that God says in other places things like this? And if we're looking for it, we can find it. And maybe get convicted by it. That we should watch how much we run our mouth. For example, would you just in closing go back to the book before Ecclesiastes, Proverbs. Just go back left a little bit. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 32. There is so much of this in the Bible. 10 and verse 32. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but... The mouth of the wicked speaks frowardness, harshness, hardness. Now let me ask you a question. Do you talk like that? Is he talking to any of us? Look in chapter 12, next page over, verse 13. The wicked is snared by the transgression of his lips. Is he or not? If the wicked is snared by the transgression of his lips, then is it possible for us as Christians to be snared by the transgression of our lips? Okay, so then we cannot stay free if the words of our mouth open up a door to bondage. Otherwise, why would he say that? And I couldn't even begin to tell you all the different ways that bondage expresses itself in your life. I think for some people, they can sit in church the rest of their life. They don't get it. There's a barrier. There's a barrier. You can say, well, they need to go through deliverance. Well, they need to repent before they go through deliverance. It is a spirit. Some people can't stay awake. They're gone now, but I remember there was a couple who used to sleep all night and come here and sleep in the morning. It's a spirit. These were church folks, Christian folks, say, how could his spirit get in my mouth? Probably it could be right here in his mouth. He's wickedness, frowardness. You open the door to the devil. He comes in. Look at chapter 13 and verse 3. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life. And he that openeth wide his lips whew, shall have destruction. Would that bind you? If you open wide your lips, which means you talk without thinking, you just speak a lot, you talk all the time, you're given to talk. In the multitudes of words are lacketh not sin. And he said, he that keeps his mouth keeps his life, but he that opens wide his lips. Your Bible tells you that when he opens wide his lips, he shall have destruction. Chapter 18, verse 7, it says, A fool's mouth is his destruction. Thoughtless words do destroy people's lives. You can't stay free if you talk wrong. Even back in Proverbs 10 again, he said, verse 14, Wise men lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. They don't lay up knowledge. They go to church. That's good enough. And again, in Proverbs 10, verse 19, it says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Good. I want you to turn to one more verse. Psalm 39 and verse 1. And we'll close with this. I said, the psalmist said, 
I said, I will take heed to my ways, the way I'm living, that I said not how, with my mouth. So the way you're going includes what you're saying. As you go along life's way, you better be careful what you say along life's way because you can be snared by the words of your mouth. He finishes by saying, I will keep my mouth with the bridle while the wicked are before me. When I'm around them down at the local hangout, when they're all talking and yapping, I'm kind. I'm nice to all of them. Some of the country folks out in the country where I grew up are really nice people. I would to God they were in here and they were born again in spirit filled. They're nice guys. They're respectful to me, but I'm very careful when I'm around them. If there's a story said or a word spoken, I don't laugh. I don't smile. Be very careful anything I say, any response I make, because they're listening to you. People like for preachers to mess up. Because if the preacher messes up, (laughs) you ain't no different. Then they start being ugly. But he said, I will guard my mouth when I'm around the wicked. Isn't that good advice? It is. Close your Bible. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, if there was ever a needy age and a needy time and a needy generation, this is it. We need courage. We need power. We need spiritual might and input into our lives. We need that strong and urgent prompting of your spirit. We need to take control of our words and our actions and deeds and realize that we're not here today just to have a church meeting, but to learn how to live a life. Forgive us all of our foolishness, of our idle, disrespectful, unnecessary, empty and barren words that we've spoken. Make us think on these things, as Paul wrote, whatever is lovely and true and honest and of a good report and so forth. If there's any virtue in any praise, to think on these things. Because, Lord, out of the abundance of our heart, that's what our mouth is going to talk about. I ask you to continue to be gracious to us. And may you find us gracious unto you and to your people. That we really can minister to these people with good testimonies. The people in this age and in this world and to each other. As we approach this communion table at this time, Heavenly Father... May we focus upon what Jesus did for us and know that if he hadn't have done that, we would be helpless and hopeless in this world. And if he did not continue to work in us both to know his will and to do his will, we would still be helpless and hopeless. As we think upon him now and the sacrifice that he gave, let us have this gracious moment of thanksgiving to God. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. To the King who gave everything for me, whose body crucified high on Calvary's tree, whose redemptive blood makes way for me, I now give everything to the King who came In the form of a child All-powerful God And yet so mild Whose obedience shows the way for me I humbly come to Thee To the King alone I will give my life To the King I will sing Both day and night To the Lamb of God Who has paid the price To the King alone I will give my life To the King, the one true royalty Though King he has befriended me Yet greater still he lives in me I give him everything To the king alone I will give my life To the king I will sing 
both day and night to the Lamb of God who has paid the price to the King alone I will give my life to the King alone I will give my life to the King I will sing both day and night to the Lamb of God who has paid the price to the King alone I will give my life to the King alone I will give my You'll lead me, and I will follow you. 